most people think. Hello and welcome to What Most People Think. Happy VE Day, happy bank holiday. Another bank holiday is good, isn't it? Bit of time at home, bit of time in the house. That's what we all need. I hope you did a conga just to uh, just to piss off all the liberals on uh, Twitter who lost their fucking minds. <laughs> uh, socially distanced conga. Uh, yeah, it's a strange old world in there. We will be speaking about VE Day later, but I'll, I'll say this, man. That I think that just seeing how upset some people get at the fact that, that this country wants to mark the, the end of the war in Europe after 75 years, even though we're only like, we're still, I mean, in my case, I'm only two generations down from somebody that fought in that. And I definitely, you know, like a lot of us, I, st- I definitely still feel that coming through. Like, you know, my granddad, he fought in the war. My dad, he thinks he fought in the war. Uh, but, you know, he just ended up watching loads of Hitler documentaries and then I am, um, you know, I've got re- residual anxiety issues off to both of them. But uh, welcome to the show. Uh, if if you know, it's the first time you're listening, this is the kind of show that, well, it's not unafraid to say happy VE day. You know, it shouldn't be weird. That's what's so weird about the cultural landscape in this country, that, that just saying happy VE day, a bit belated, albeit, uh, feels feels um feels somehow transgressive i hope you're doing all right i know that last week first up thank you to all the people because i ended last week's podcast by saying it will be all right it will be all right when it? it's going to be all right and then i got loads of emails saying it will be all right jeff uh, so thanks for those if you do want to email in uh, if you want to take issue with agree with or just just call me an arsehole um it's what most people think uk at gmail.com and i pr- appreciate those letters man um i'll be reading out some at the end of the show today and I don't know what you've been up to. I don't know. I don't know if we're the week that week last week compared to this week. This week has had a bit more sunshine. I'm beginning to think sunshine is the absolute key to everything, right? Like I never thought of living abroad, but seeing seeing how much better this country copes with a pandemic when the sun's shining. Um, I am sorry it's late, by the way, with the podcast. It will be back to Friday as of next week. I was holding out for a guest today. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, but I'll be recording a podcast Friday of this week coming. It'll be up by Friday. Um, we do a cuss count on this just to keep track of what's not just what swear words I'm saying, which swear words I'm saying. Not sorry, not how many, but which swear words. What is the palette of my cursing, my curse palette? And um, this week it's there's always a lot of fucking. So this week's it was four fucks, thirteen fuckings, one pissing, two shits, one cunt. And sadly, no pricks this week. So apologies to all the prick fans out there. Although my guest, Constantine, had three fuckings during the podcast. And, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, just listen for his fuckings. They really are something to be uh, (laughs) beheld. But that was good fun. And once again, thanks to having him on. People seem to have enjoyed uh, that one. Thank you to the Patreons as well, the people who are helping keep this podcast uh, weekly. Because, again, it's Sunday. I I might have just started drinking today you know but we got over the 100 mark and what that means is I'm going to buy a pop shield for the mic now you might have just heard me pop as I said pop shield but uh, it's on order from Amazon so at some point this week some bloke's just going to throw a fucking uh, brown package at my door because uh, that's how they work now you know it's, it's another example where I think companies are going to start taking liberties of what social distancing and the new normal means it's just like they'll just be oh it's, it's social distancing isn't it that's why my car didn't stop and I basically did a sort of stuntman exit um, just shout out to some of the VIP patrons. So the VIP patrons get a guaranteed shout out. Um, Anton, just Anton there. Rebecca Cracknell, 
just sounds like an Olympian, uh, and Melanie Lawson. So thank you very much, you you wealthy people. Just just keep it. You're spreading your financial love. This is capitalism in action. And then obviously, thanks to all patrons, I will be doing shout outs for the middle and three pounds here later in the show. So, so basically, coming up in the show today, we've got a. Uh, We've got. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna address the issue of why government approval is still high. I mean, it's still running. In recent polls, it's still running at about fifty percent. And a lot of people, they're just confused. I don't understand. I've been on Twitter all day, and the general message of Twitter is government is crap. And then, and then in the real world, it's not the same. So I'm gonna. I mean, I've covered this in the last few podcasts. But what what drew it to my attention? There was an article in the Guardian um, where they almost did like an explainer trying to translate. This, this brand of idiocy to their bohemian readers. So I, I, I'll bring it... So instead of it being a Guardian reader, get it straight from the horse's mouth. And also be a little bit of a political roundup, just of a few things that have happened recently. And there's a story I'd love to tell you about my granddad from the Second World War. And obviously we'll do the letters at the end. But before we crack on, as ever, there's a quick thank you and a fuck you. I'd like to, I'd like to say thank you. I don't know who your takeaway delivery of choice has been throughout this lockdown but I'm sure that you'll agree that they are the heroes I mean you know you won't could we clap for them on a Friday <laughs> that's where most people get their takeaways isn't it just clap for clap for the Istanbul that's my local kebab shop and not only to those chaps I mean they are they're creating some magic in those kitchens they the meat they use good quality meat you know the salad's always fresh and and it's so rare to get a good burger isn't it the amount of times have you ever had that when you think I'm going to have a burger. And it just really delivers. It's just the idea, even the word burger, just sounds like cheese, burger, chips. They're nice words to say. And then when they arrive, so to big up the Istanbul, um, but I, it does sound like the most stereotypical name. You just made up a racist kebab shop name, Jeff. I haven't, that is that is the name of it. Uh, and then and then a fuck you to, well, basically round my way, we don't have any, um, we don't have any uh, chip shops doing delivery through, through uh, lockdown. It's been hard. It's been hard. And as I say, you know, thinking about VE Day, thinking about my, my grandparents, I don't, I don't know. Did they have fish and chips? Because I don't. I don't do it during this lockdown. So I'm just saying, you know, in the same way that my wife has had to cut hair during this lockdown, still hasn't cut mine, but my son, my son, he's getting, he's getting trims like he's on a reality show, you know? Daily little trims there like he's on fucking teeny, teeny Love Island. That sounded nonsense, didn't it? <laughs> Teeny Love Island. Dear, oh dear. Jeff, just crack on with this week's show. Okay, just a, a little political roundup of a few things that uh, caught my eye this week. So we had uh, we had a few of these Twitter spats where something happens in actual politics and then Twitter, particularly left-wing Twitter, has a reaction to it that is just, just not something that's massively shared outside of the bubble. But so this week we had a um, we had an incident with um, Matt Hancock, who was challenged over numbers by Rosina Allen Khan, I think her name is. I'm just gonna check that because as I'm saying this, I'm gonna I realise that if I get it wrong, I could, yeah, Rosina Allen Khan. She's a member of parliament. I think she's the shadow something. She's the shadow, but she's an NHS doctor, right? Uh, and she she came at Matt Hancock in the Commons uh, with oh by the way just just a little sidebar here didn't we see Boris versus Starmer um, that was it's so weird I, I I don't know why it wasn't as compelling as Raab versus Starmer and there was like with Raab versus Starmer because they're both like blokes in good nick of a certain age there was a sort of like grudge fuck tension 
But just Starman and Boris, it just seemed like two creatures from completely different planets were trying to learn how to communicate with each other. I thought, um, you know, Starmer, Starmer did well, obviously, on the forensics. It's so forensic. It's a forensic deconstruction, forensicness. Uh, I thought Boris did okay, you know. It was his first time back in the Commons since he was ill. I mean, I'll be, let's be honest about Boris. He's never been that good on his feet at the dispatch box. It's one of my disappointments about him, to be honest, was the way that he was sold. You know, so this guy's going to be great, you know, in debates. He's going to eviscerate Corbyn at the prime ministerial, at the uh, leadership uh, debates leading into the election. And I, I haven't really seen it. Do you know what I mean? I haven't really seen it. And obviously, this is a very serious time for Boris. So, he, you know, he's, he's probably been rationed on the old Latin and the metaphors. It's probably the last advice Boris gets going out. Is it, Boris, go easy on the metaphors, mate. You know, go easy on the metaphors. I'm going to rock it. I'm going to strive. I'm going to mountain my way out there. Um, but anyway, so getting back to Matt Hancock, he had this spat with Rosine Allen Khan where she came came at him talking about deaths and, and she started talking about families torn apart. And so she did this thing that is incredibly common on the left where she was highly emotive. And she was sort of saying, um, it's your fault that these people have died. And and, and surprise, surprise, he, 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 was, uh, he was a little bit upset about that. And he, he was, I think he was a bit blindsided because some of the tone of the debate has been respectful, right? You know, certainly Starmer has observed that. And he said, you know, he said, you might want to take advice from the, the Shadow Secretary of State for Health, right? In terms of tone. And then Rosina Allen Khan tweeted um, that she was told to watch her tone. Now, so there's two things here. Of course, was Matt Hancock kind of patronising? Yeah, he was a bit. I mean, I'm not sure he gets to tell her how, what her, you know, that she, she should have to be like a colleague. She doesn't have to, you know? Yeah, but I can understand why he's upset, right? You know, he's a health secretary during a pandemic. I mean, that almost sounds like a, like a simile for a stressful job, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he was, uh, you know, a family guy. You know, when they do his little cutaways. He was like, yeah, he was like a health secretary during a pandemic. Cut to Matt Hancock, just uh, just trying to throw uh, surgical gloves at people. Um, but yeah, he, he responded badly. And then she went on Twitter and said, she... she uh, she embedded the video and then she said that she wasn't pleased with being told to watch her tone. And then, of course, Twitter blows up with people reading racial connotations into this. OK, so like this is bad because historically white men telling brown women to watch their tone. This goes back to the, the fucking empire. This goes this is worse than the days of the Raj. And I, I just don't think that's what it was. I don't think that's what it was. I And it reminded me of like a, a personality trait, which I think is something that probably makes me a bit conservative in the first place. Is that I, I just don't like people coming at me with emotion. And maybe that's a failing on my part. But just the moment people start wringing their hands. Do you know that thing? It is often women do this. So when they talk, they put their, their right hand on their kind of like clavicle as though like to say, that I, I, this is coming from the heart here. I'm, channel, I'm channeling the, the heart and you, you must, I, the heart always wins. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. The moment people are emotive with me, I shut, I shut down. That was a, I shut down. I whistle, apparently. Um, so so that was one example this week of where perhaps the left were a little bit too focused on language rather than actual things that are happening in the world. I know, the left. I know, the British, I swear to God it happened. What most people think. Do you remember a few weeks ago when uh, the Nightingale Hospital was being built and it was seen as this shining kind of achievement? Uh, and he was all over that, wasn't he? Sadiq, he was all over... The breakfast news or the GMB, you know, backslapping with his favourite presenters. And uh, I mean, you'd have thought that he built the thing. You'd have thought that he built the Nightingale Hospital the way he was carrying on. 
And then suddenly, obviously, you know, and this is probably a sign of a good thing, is that, you know, Nightingale Hospital is decommissioned because the, the peak of the virus in London wasn't as bad as some feared. Now, now you might think, if you're of a more optimistic persuasion as like me, that, that well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that London wasn't overwhelmed by this this apocalypse to some sort of like World War Z level where you got corona victims kind of climbing up a wall like fucking zombies. I'm glad. I'm glad that didn't happen. And I think it was a good thing that the hospital was built. In a way, it was kind of reassuring, wasn't it? It's reassuring because it said, you know what, if we need to build a hospital, we'll build a hospital. Good. I'm glad that that capacity exists, right? But Sadiq, he wanted all that reflected glory. And the moment's decommissioned, you, you, would, you don't hear a word from the fella. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, he's a good politician. I'll say that. He's a good politician, but in, in the worst way, right? Because what he is essentially a populist. He, he represents London, right? Which is, we all increasingly aware, is not like a city, it's, it's a nation. It's a different world, you know, nine million people, nine million plus, with different, you know, different values, a different makeup of anywhere else in the country. So vastly different from anywhere else. And um, he's a populist by by definition he's a populist and and, and the left don't realize that because when he says stuff like when he bans a beach body ready campaign they think well that's that's how i feel so that can't be populist i'm not a populist so when he you know when it when he kind of like you know waxes lyrical about the nhs for the 15 millionth time in an interview they they don't realize that he's just pushing buttons you you know in the same way that right-wing politicians do but the thing with right-wing politicians they've got more of a legacy with populism so they have to mind their p's and q's in and around that subject, right? But the left have a populism. They do. I'll come back to this. I'm going to come back to this next week because I'm building a little dossier on left-wing populism. Yeah, we might discuss AC Graylin. Oh, speaking of speaking of um, populism, I don't know if you saw uh, Banksy, the artist, that incredibly ge- that genius artist Banksy with his almost impenetrable images of, of metaphors and analogies for the state of British culture. Now, this one, get this. He... Um, he did a picture of a child, right, and it, and it's holding up a toy, and in in the in the basket is two heroes, Batman, I think it's Superman. But which, which toy is he holding up? He's holding up a nurse with a face mask on. Because what what sorry, what is Banksy getting at here? I don't I don't fully get it. Oh, oh is that the NHS are now kids' new heroes? Fuck me, this guy's good. Fuck me, he's good. Banksy has got to be like. He's got. He's a populist artist, isn't he? Like nothing he does, nothing he does is that hard. To kind of break down, is it? I mean, this geezer could, um, he could just smear the words capitalism in his own shit and uh, like a left-wing millionaire would buy it because they think it's genius. I saw it shared all over, all over social media. I know that a lot of the listeners to this podcast like me are, are are getting overwhelmed by the swamp of emotion towards the NHS. And I think this is just another example. I think Banksy... Like it reminded me, and you'll probably think, "Oh, yeah, but you get out your violin, Jeff." I think, I think it's uh, it's a lot more straightforward to be a left wing artist in in a number of senses because you just you just tap a certain button, and social media is so receptive to that idea. You're gonna get your fucking J.K. Rowling's, aren't you? You're gonna get your Gary Lineker's jumping on it. <laughs> These people with huge followings. Do you know how hard it is out there without the equivalent, without the right wing? Who, who have we got? James Dyson, yeah. James Dyson, a couple of columnists. You know what I mean? It's tough out. Basically, what I'm saying is poor me. Um, another bit of uh, language um, forensics this week from the left, which was that um, Rishi Sunak was talking about the fact that, you know, we might need to move away from the situation soon where the government are paying everybody's wages. I just did a left-wing thing there. 
I did a bit of hyperbole. They're not paying everybody's wages, but that's what you do in left-wing comedy to kind of make your point. They are paying the wages of the nation. Um, they're not, they're paying, but they're paying a lot of adults. Is it a third? Is it a third of adults of working age? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Rishi Sunak kind of said, uh, maybe this isn't sustainable <laughs> in the same way that all socialism, com- communism isn't kind of sustainable. It's, these these uh, measures are there to get you out of shit. They're not there to kind of like keep you swimming in the shit. Um, but, but he used the word wean. And then, of course, there was the usual outrage from the left. Wean? What was what, what he saying? That unemployed people are desperate, suckling on the teeth of the state. What was he getting at? He just used the word. Okay, it does. What does it matter? What word? What fucking word he used? Ween. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's he's a good chancellor. You know, he's he's one of the few politicians that that has uh, rose to the occasion. Let's not let's not try and tear the man down just because he used the word ween. What should he What should he say then? We need to we need to get people off the furlough scheme. We need to get. But yeah, maybe you should say we get. We need to get people back to work. But even then, they'd be like, we know what back to work means. That means that you're just gonna let people die. There's so much hyperbole around at the moment. There's so much. There was also uh, another thing in terms of language <clears throat> and the British political left this week, which was uh, Dawn Butler uh, said that she was compiling a report on microaggressions. <laughs> and you think at this point in time, with everything that we're facing, the fact that she would even put that in the public domain. And therein lies the problem, people, right? Is that, that Keir Starmer is good. Yeah? He's, uh, I, I like him. I know that he was shady over Brexit, but Ultimately, I do like him. I like the way he communicates. I think he's bright. He's not a great politician. I think he's, you know, he's 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 not as politically shrewd as he's academically clever. But I think he's all right. You know, the Labour Party had a bunch of Keir Starmers. You know, uh, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I probably like them more, but they don't, do they? <laughs> they absolutely don't. They have they have lots of Rebecca Long Baileys. They have lots of uh, Dawn Butlers. You know, even Lisa Nandy t- Times. You know. Uh, David Lammies, Richard Bergens. This is this is the problem. Labour, the Labour Parliamentary Party are, you know, you can change the leader, right? And he, you know, he he will usher in a culture that is probably more electable. But it still runs up against the problem of the that I keep mentioning, which is the what the Labour membership are and what the Labour Parliamentary Party are. You know, and when I see moments like that, and when I when I see how it's just a personality type thing, isn't it? I, I don't. I don't. I just don't care that much about language. I care about what what's happening, right? I care about pragmatic things like people do rather than what they say. But my God, the the left in this country is just still too hung up on words. Okay, a quick hype here for the Patreon. If you haven't signed up yet, there are three tiers, the £3, the £5 and the £10. They all come with uh, different benefits. I shouldn't say benefits. Should we wean you off the benefit? <laughs> and um, it, it's great. It's keeping the podcast weekly. There's already been uh, a, video, a new video, exclusive video uploaded once a week, every week for last week. And I'll, it won't always be video. There'll be other stuff coming. Uh, you have uh, an inbox where you can message me. There's various benefits at different tiers about getting guaranteed shout outs, uh, getting a, your letter re- read out. So, you know, jump on that. And I, I'm i going to do a shout for the middle tier patrons here. Uh, Nigel Poor. Nigel Poor, I shouldn't call him Poor. You know, wean him off the poor. Nigel. Nigel. Nigel's struggling. No, Nigel. <laughs> he's, not, he's not poor. He can afford that middle tier patron. This geezer's doing all right. Adam Lewis. 
and Will Burks. They all sound like mates for some reason. I don't know why, like they know each other. Nigel Poor, Adam Lewis and Will Burks. Do you remember that lot from school? Do you remember, remember Nigel, Adam and Will? Those were knocking around. Do you, do you know what happened to them? They ended up working out in Ibiza, yeah? They ran a night out there for uh, a few years, but uh, Will had a bit of funny one mentally. Adam's still out there, though. He runs a bar called The Big Ben down in San Antonio. I don't know why I've got this flight of fancy. I think I need a holiday. What most people think. So I read this, uh, this thing in The Guardian. It was about a week ago, actually, where this reporter, sort of in a weird way, had to explain to The Guardian readers why support was still so high for the government among normal people, you know. It's quite amusing that it's come to that with The Guardian, that they always need to have, like, doing sign language for working-class people. But, yeah, this is... Like, look, there are people who don't read this that don't think what you think, and let me explain to you. Maybe all Guardian articles should have that now, some sort of translate, little notes that, that help explain that um, the tiny circulation of The Guardian don't speak for Britain in any way. But uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought, well, you know, she seemed like quite a middle-class person explaining it to middle-class people. I thought, why don't, why don't I do something really, you know, really helpful for the middle classes, being obviously uh, a stupid pleb, uh, leave and Tory voter. Maybe I could explain why I, you know, it's not unequivocal support for the government, but why I am certainly still kind of sympathetic um, to their situation, Right. Why I am sympathetic to their situation. So let's say there are a number of key issues that I'm that make me perhaps not. So I thought, why why don't I, as a working class person, you know, as a as a pleb, as a, a stupid, racist, selfish, evil Tory Brexit voter, why why don't I help explain? You know, as as, as in the spirit of cultural exchange. You know, like we used to have people come over from France and stay. I could do this. With the middle classes, you know. Um, the first thing is, is is population size, right? So it's not saying that Britain's numbers aren't bad and, and upsetting, but like when you say like the worst in Europe, I think population size is not like even if you weren't that ap- academic, you could apply that idea that what so if a country's got more people, it might have more deaths, right? So like if Spain which is 40% smaller than Britain, only has like a few thousand less deaths, then they might still have more overall per person. You know, it's, it's not that difficult uh, a concept to get your head around. You know, it's like saying, oh, this country has got more right-handed people than the other country. Like, why is that? Well, it's because it's got more people. You go, well, I don't know, there must be some sort of conspiracy here. You think, no, it's uh, it's perhaps a consequence of numbers, you know. And then, and then there's pop- population density. I think most people understand what population means as a word. I think most people understand what density means as a word. You throw them together, you've got a concept that's quite that's quite accessible, really. You know, if you think about a big fuck off city like like London, I mean, I I, I didn't realise until this pandemic started just how ridiculously big London is. I mean, it's like it's nearly three times the size of Berlin, the next biggest uh, sort of major European city. And it's and, and it's some of the other cities, Madrid just over two million, Paris just over two million. It, you know, if anything, it's made me think that some of these other European cities have been giving it a bit large on the world stage. Oh yeah, this major city, mate. London is nine million people. London is two Scotlands. London is two Scotlands. London is two and a half islands. I don't know. Look, I don't know the data here. Okay, I'm just a stupid leave voter. But what I'm saying is. Is that you know you put 
Essentially, I'm talking about population. I've kind of contradicted my point here because this isn't about population density, but it is in the case of London. If you say that part of the way that this this virus is communicated is by people being really close to each other, and I think, okay, I've been in London. Yeah, it's it's quite close. There's there's uh, there's a lot of people there. So if that is like three times the size of the next biggest European city, I could see that that would have an impact. And then there's data. Right, so it's data. So we know that the the UK have got the most comprehensive reporting system at the moment. It's because we have a, a, an NHS which helps in that respect. We've got good data collection generally. But you know, do I think other countries' numbers will go up in the long run? Yeah, I do. Do think that. You know, Spain. There's already reports about Spain and Italy being vastly underreported because they're not reporting deaths in the wider community. They've also got care home issues. You know, this is one of the things that makes me laugh about PPE. We sort of imagining. That we're the only people. When there's huge global demand, all of a sudden for one thing, we suddenly think we're the only one that, that have got it wrong somehow. That everyone, everyone's just like having little PPE parties, like like those Tupperware parties from the eighties. Just wearing PPE just to have like a messy spaghetti dinner. Um, I don't think other countries are in that situation. We know that the, you know there was a naked protest by doctors in Germany, problems in the US, problems in Belgium, uh, problems in Russia. And speaking about data, the other thing as well is like when you look at those those horrific Olympic League tables that we all seem to, um, we all seem fixated on is like, is anyone buying like the right, the, like the Chinese numbers just make me just hilarious. The, the, what they built, what was it? 40, 40 hospitals <laughs> for those numbers. Really? They go, yeah, China just going, yeah, yeah. Our numbers, uh, our numbers are somewhere in line with like Belgium. Yeah. What the, the China, the, the, <laughs> the 1.3 billion, Nation is up there. Yeah, okay. Okay, China. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll believe that. It's the same with Russia as well. Russia's gone like a slightly different method of reporting. They're just, they're just pushing a few numbers out there going, yeah, we have maybe 100 deaths today. But 100. Yeah, say 100. It's like, um, <laughs> they always make me laugh to Russians. It's like, what they've done there is they're, they're kind of, they're almost like, you know when someone's like uh, doing a dodgy tax return? They don't, they don't report the amount, right amount. They just think, they just think what would seem all right as a number. They go, 100, 102. I realise I'm sounding like Grudel from Despicable Me. God, Kevin! Then there's Boris when he got ill. So this is the question is, when you're a Leave voter or a Conservative, right, are you more disposed to uh, sentimentalism, right, and stories and babies and stuff like that and the thing with me and Boris is that I was never like I didn't vote for him in the Conservative leadership election so I was I, I think I didn't I wasn't that impressed with the campaign he fought with the election but if I'm honest with myself when he got ill I, I did bond with him a little bit because I suppose one of the reservations I had about Boris Johnson was that he didn't work hard enough you know what I mean didn't take it seriously enough and then you know when you and this might just be spin but when you hear that he's sitting there in bed on his laptop, do you know what? I, I, I'm pretty sure I had coronavirus and I, I was in bed with my laptop writing jokes. And possibly one of the saddest things my wife has ever seen. Just like, it's just literally going to be writing, <laughs> just gonna be writing just shit jokes up until his death. Just, uh, just one more joke, one more knob gag. Imagine that. What were his last words? And then she'd never tell my son. She'd be like, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty indecipherable really it was it was a knob gag son your dad died finishing off a knob gag <clears throat> and like i say you know so does that create a kind of bias look i, I and, and did him having a baby make me feel more positive towards him 
Yeah, I guess so. I guess, but only on a human level that, uh, that I know what it's like having a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do not know what it's like having a kid whilst being in charge of a global pandemic. So there you go. They, they, I, I sympathise. I, you know, I've got a four-year-old son with a lot of energy. Getting this podcast out today, that felt like a big job on. I must admit, I was, it put the reducers on me massively, stressing a bit when I got up. I wasn't very communicative with my wife. I just see you throw in like a screaming baby. And his missus, who probably, and of course you've just had a baby, you're going to think that nothing is more important than that baby. He can't say it, but there is more important things than it. That's awful, isn't it? But he's a father, but he's like, um, it's the, uh, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, that's that's a great face that he's put. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd love to feed Yeah, I'd love to feed him. I'd love to feed is, is that Is that, is that fed enough? Because there is a lot of work stuff going on. At the moment, and there's a, another thing is about bias generally on both sides. You got to remember, we only we only rolled out of uh, Brexit at the end of January. Brexit, where a lot of people, certainly on the Remain side, back in the summer of 2019, there were a lot of protest marches. You know, like whatever they said, like four million people, six. They they started to be the ones that got a bit shady with numbers towards the end, didn't they? You know, and they were their their e petition that got up to six million numbers because obviously, you know, there's no way that um, there's no way that you could fake those sort of numbers using email addresses, right? <laughs> That's what made me laugh about that whole thing. The people are like, Russian bots are controlling British democracy. Meanwhile, this thing we did on the internet changed the law. But it is happening on both sides. Do I think that, that, that it was enough time to to get rid of like the resentments from the, the Brexit battles? You know what I mean? We're all wearing the scars from that, whether it's normal people. I think a lot, most Remainers, most normal people did get past it, but there's a hardcore of people that spent three and a half years duking it out on the ideas battlefront. <clears throat> I just don't think that they they were ready. You know, like they, a lot of them already hated Tories. They really hate Boris. They hate Bex, Brexit. So this is the question. The government are making lots of mistakes. Of course, our governments all over the world are. And yeah, I'll be honest, it has seemed a little bit shambolic of late. But do they, is there a little bit of VAT that they're putting on that? A little bit of Brexit VAT where they really, what they're trying to say is, <clears throat> I was right. That's what a lot of political argument about, you know, particularly on social media. It's just, I was right. That's what people live for. You know, you get those twatty blokes that just screenshot a tweet and think, I'll keep that there. Because when one day that person, at least temporarily, seems to be proved wrong, I'll do a tweet going, this aged well. You fucking sad bastard. Then, then there's the NHS, right? Public Health England, uh, who have a budget for dealing with pandemics, right? You know, what I'm saying is there'll be questions. This idea that the NHS is just this one simple thing, which is just these plucky volunteers, because they, they don't get paid. I, I think that that's the impression I'm getting from the, the dialogue at the moment. They're just volunteers. They're just volunteers. All of them are on the front line. All, every single person that works on the NHS is on the front line. I, they, they, those procurement managers, I hope that free coffee is tasting sweet. Imagine if your job, right, was procurement. So your job was to, to buy something, whether that be PPE or vaccinations or whatever, or, or bed sheets. And then you just see the health secretary up there getting shit for it. <laughs> you get, would there a little, be a little part of you that goes, yeah, I was, I, was, I was supposed to do that. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, they're facing global challenges, but that's the point, isn't it? So is Matt Hancock. So is Matt. By the way, yeah, if anyone's listening to this, you're just a conservative apologist, Jeff. I'm... I suppose that's the way it might come across, but I, I'm just trying to get to like a reasonable point of view here. And I think that I think that there might be other people that feel like me at the moment, which is that the NHS has been venerated beyond reality 
beyond any actual connection to what it is. So it's a health service provider, you know, it's paid, it's fully funded by the people, you know, and a lot of people have tried to say that, whether, you know, it's been eviscerated by cuts. I mean, look, it was, the budget was 110 billion in 2010, 156 billion now, right? So over 10 years with the growth in population and adjusting for inflation, it might not be enough, but has it been eviscerated? This is the thing with the left. I always have to go with the harsh light. It's been eviscerated. It's been ripped out. It's been, it's been decapitated by these vicious stories. I'm not, I just want a reasonable view of what's happened. Maybe it has maybe it's been below what it should have been, but has it gone up? It has gone up. All right, maybe it should go up a bit more. I'm pretty sure the last election, it was going to go up more, and I'm pretty sure that since this pandemic started, it has gone up more. But it, there's this strange tendency for the same people to criticise British exceptionalism, right? This idea that Britain is inherently just better equipped and better at people. They're the same people just thinking that the NHS is better than any other health service in the world. You're telling me doctors in Spain and, and Italy, right? Belgium, what, are they different? Are they not as good? Because they're not part of the NHS, you know, the old flag. I like, when I, I clap, I clap for carers. I clap for the people that are doing it on the front line. I'm not, there's a lot of people that aren't on that, that front line. Okay, and it's it's, but we're never we're, we're never going to have a grown up conversation about the NHS now, are we? It's got the kids growing up. They literally think is that fucking Banksy picture. They literally think that that they're just some sort of band, they're like the fucking Justice League. What most people? Think. But another thing that the left might have to face over time is that for the for the British public, you know, this psychological fear of the NHS of NHS capacity being breached was one of the biggest fears that people carried into this, right? And the fact that it didn't happen has been underestimated, I think. Um, and so when you look at the death rate of people that have reached hospital, you think, well, okay, so these people have got to hospital. Ventilators weren't as big an issue as we thought. Do you remember, remember when ventilators? It was all about the ventilators. You know what I mean? They were like the Tamagotchis of the pandemic. They were just this really big deal for a while. And then absolutely, they were like elbow handshakes, weren't they? Just, just went away very quickly. But what happened then? When they got to hospital... What happened? Was it A, that the NHS didn't give them the care that they needed? No, no, you can't say that. I don't, I don't think it was that. But like, these are the two options. If they got to hospital, did they not get the care they needed? Or was there something that made them more predisposed to being vulnerable to this illness? Which brings me on to the next point, right? Obesity. Now, it seems that, you know, being obese going into this makes you more vulnerable, you know? And we are... We're big as a nation. We're we're big. We're not we're not like American level big, but we are we're challenging them. Do you know what I mean? We're putting in we're putting in the hours. Certainly I during the pandemic have uh, you know, it's like if the if the Fat Olympics is coming up and America are America, then I am I, I wanna take you know, I wanna give them a run for their money, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think I'm three, four takeaways a week. You know, it seems to me there's a stereotype about Americans, right? About about that obesity is obviously a problem there, but they've also got like some of the most in shape people as well. That's America's all about extremes, isn't it? You never talk about like just the people that look good look phenomenal. <laughs> they look so phenomenal. It's the it's we in, in Britain we all sort of merge together in the middle. You know, dad bod. You don't see abs very often here, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is that the 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 virus does seem to have struck harder. Where you know, in a country where we enjoy the odd beige buffet. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that, that it would it would hit us harder. And then the other thing is, finally, is that there's a long game to this, right? Is that we are, we're at the beginning of this, this process. As we see from pandemics, you know, gone before, 
is that there'll be a second wave in the winter. And really, how governments around the world will have done would be uh, will be will be based on that, right? And there's a lot of plaudits currently for uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, old Julia, right? Because she has... Uh, well, she, the thing is, she's not exposed her country to the virus yet. So unless a vaccine comes along, and, and apparently it's very, you know, it's very ambitious to think they would come along in any less than 18 months, this is going to come around at some point. So even a vaccine comes around for the Kiwis, or... or I mean, bearing in mind that it's it's a very unpopulated country as well, so they might just they could just social distance like at ten meters. It's fine. Do you know what I mean? It's just them and fucking Peter Jackson, some hobbits. They they can maintain that sort of social distancing, but or they maintain you know incredibly tight border controls and incredibly tight government monitoring. And I think that you know certainly in this country, one thing I am pleased about to a point is the government have had an eye on liberty. You know what is reasonable to expect people to do what like what duration of controls can you exert now as i talk about this this is sunday morning boris is doing his um his little speech to the nation tonight who, who knows what we're going to see there but i think that that has to be in the mix but when you look at the uh, old julia nicola in scotland they are they're like liberal catnip for people because they are excellent communicators and god listen i would wish that on the conservative side there were some <clears throat> more people that had that ability to communicate but what one of the upshots is, is that when someone's that good at communicating, they often get let off with some of the detail of what they're saying because, you know, they do a little clip, a two-minute bit of sass on, online and go, oh, my God, I heart Julia, I heart Nicola. So, Nicola, please come and run Britain, just all of Britain. Please, Julia, please, Britain, could you come and be like the, the dream team, like like Wonder Woman and, and that Scarlett Johansson game? But the, the, the thing is, you overlook some of the flaws in, in what they say. And Nicola Sturgeon is a, the leader of a nationalist party, right? She she is loved. This is the irony about Nicola Sturgeon. She is loved by people who love strong political unions in Europe. And her main goal is to leave a strong political union in Europe, right? So it just shows you how much style can triumph over content. But look, in, in the long run, I, I believe, and this sounds like postponement, but there will be a reckoning in this country. If conservatives are found to have, on a global stage, notably been shitter than everyone else, there will be a reckoning for this Conservative Party and for Boris and for all the people that were there. I just don't think you can do it yet. You know, I don't think the film's really, I don't think the film's really got going. I don't think you can decide how many stars you're going to give it uh, while we're still in the opening credits. <laughs> So yeah, as we mentioned earlier, it was uh, VE Day, and I hope you had a good one. I hope you had a good one maintaining your socially distanced street parties, which obviously uh, lots of uh, left-wing people on Twitter seem feel the need to sneer at. But um, it just made me think, you know, that's one of the main things about uh, days like that. Is it just made me think about, you know, my granddad. He was uh, he's one of those blokes, just very gentle man, very gentle man. You know, when you join the army of your own volition, it might be because you have some sort of attraction to to fight it. You know what I mean? Like, um, like you, you like you want adventure and you want conflict. But he wasn't one of those guys. He was uh, he was called up, right? And uh, he spent a lot of his time fighting in Africa, uh, North Africa. And I've got a, a story here. That I was think, like a lot of people that generation, he didn't like to talk about it too much. Uh, I got the impression that he, you know, he might have been involved in a few conflicts, maybe fired, you know, a few guns at a few people, but he he was uh, he was very reserved about it. But he told me this one story when he was serving in Africa, and he talked about the cultural mix that he had, and he was um, he was uh, I don't know which nationality they were, but he was 
serving with a couple of uh, black lads that he was sharing a tent with, and he was speaking to his commanding officer, and uh, he was just asking, you know, Norgan, how's it been? How you found yourself? How you were? How are you fitting in with the natives? And you know, obviously that was a language that was used at the time. And my granddad said, you know, yeah, they, you know, they're they're bloody nice blokes. You know, they're all right. You know, they get stuck in and all that. But I'll tell, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, they don't half pen and ink. Now, you can imagine, uh, as a teenager, I'm thinking, oh, God, granddad's is going to say something racist now. This is what granddads do. Shit, this is embarrassing. Who else is listening? Uh, and then he carried on the story, and his commanding officer said, well, that's very interesting that you uh, think that they smell Norcott, because uh, I just had a little debrief with them, and uh, they said that you smell as well. They said you smell of milk. So it was really interesting. My granddad went down the road of telling me a story there that seemed like it was going to be racist, but actually was like something about the relativity of different cultural experiences. So, you know, when people, when people celebrate the day, it was just, it was just remembering that, that, that our, our grandparents uh, are not too distant relatives, went through something incredibly stressful. They, they learned things, you know, but it was hard. It was hard. And it was harder, it was harder than this. Come on. Look, if something bad has happened to somebody directly in your family, then my God, you know, it's, it's, it's the centre of your world. But for the most part, this ain't no blitz. OK, we've got a few letters here. And first up is Barry from Sheffield. I get the, the uh, impression Barry is a little bit uh, of the left. But he says, basically, Gary, Barry's saying that he's a little bit suspicious about Boris, you know, getting ill because then he can come back and say that he speaks highly of the NHS. You know, he was uh, he was off during the two toughest weeks of the pandemic. Uh, he gets to swoop back in and then, you know, manage the slight easing of the lockdown uh, on, on a bank holiday weekend on VE Day. And and then Barry sort of maybe starts taking the piss out of himself, says that somewhere along the line he convinces Oasis to get back together, puts the footy back on terrestrial TV and Brexit gets done along the way. Listen, Barry, I think that... Um, I think that sometimes this is one of the problems with conspiracy theories is maybe giving people in power um, more credit than they deserve. You know what I mean? I'm not sure it was as well planned out as this. And you know what? I th- there is a part of me that thinks that if they, if the, his team fought it through this forensically, in the front row, if he goes in now, if he goes in the hospital now, he'll be recovered by then, then it'll be V Day. If we just get carry induced by then, we should come round, ease in lockdown, slight economic boost. Jobs are good. And do you know what? If, if that's what they think, then maybe I, I think they deserve to be in power. What most people uh, another letter here from um, Rachel. So Rachel, very lovely letter from Rachel, but she asked a very pointed question. Should garden centres open before Weatherspoons? Um, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's a very good question, isn't it? I mean, gardens, I, I don't know. I don't remember a time in my life when garden centres got so much traction in national debate. You know, there's always people that... Got fuck all else to do on, on Sunday mornings. I just, I just need to drive. Just need to go to a Frost's. I need to have the breakfast at the Frost's. That one that's a bit overpriced. That always, you order the thing, then you have to wait, and you think you're not going to get it. You know, whereas Weatherspoons, if, if you were just doing it based on fry-ups, I'd say Weatherspoons first, because it's competitive. It, it's a decent fry-up at Weatherspoons as well. People knock it, the food's all right. You know, good. Weatherspoons are big pubs, right? You can maintain, you can be socially distanced. Weatherspoons is all about social distancing, isn't it? All those old fuckers in there (laughs) who've gone to get away from their families. Um, I think that, yeah, I I, I find it odd that that garden centres, is it it one of these things that's just a much 
bigger bit of life than than I uh, realised. But yeah, garden centres before Weatherspoons. Well, look, okay, if we open garden centres on the Monday, maybe we could have Weatherspoons open. Maybe we could have Weatherspoons open in time. Why can't I say Weatherspoons? Weatherspoons. Weatherspoons. I've got, have I got some sort of PTSD from something that happened there? Yeah, maybe get the spoons open uh, in time for Curry Club on Thursday. So, as anybody who listened to last week's episode will know, there was an incredible, an incredible story about somebody, you know, one of these people that's finding the whole clap for precarious thing a little bit overbearing. Uh, I didn't name names or name places here, but I've had an update from his missus, right? And she says, I am the girlfriend of, who wrote in last week, uh, with the photo of the Lean On Me sing-along scheduled for the Clap for Carers. So if, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, uh, they live in an area where the Clap for Carers has become a big thing and somebody had uh, done this printout which they posted through everyone's door where it's going to be like a call and response thing in the street. So he goes, so just lean on me, brother. You might understand. And then the rest of the street goes, because we all need somebody to lean on. Which is obviously it fucking vomit-inducingly just cringy um so we've got an update here of what actually happened so we stuck around to see the clap uh after the clap to see if this went ahead fortunately we were on one of those long roads with tall regency buildings that you get in town uh redacted uh divided up into flats however we're not royalty most of us don't have balconies we just lean out of the window to clap anyway the organizer set a pa system up in the middle of the street uh from what i could hear but, and this is the brilliant payoff to this, it was quite windy being on the seafront, so the sound didn't travel to anyone that wasn't next door to her. <laughs> so we, we just went back inside, grateful to have dodged a bullet. I don't know if this phrase has been coined before, but we have named it egotainment. There's a lot of it about at the moment, especially around here. People trying to entertain others during the lockdown under the guise of cheering up the nation whilst also live streaming it to show people their altruism while showcasing themselves. I cannot agree with you more. What a brilliant phrase to coin. Egotainment. Egotainment. Of course it is. Of course it is. I'm just doing it. I'm just doing it for the nation. We will continue broadcast. I heard a radio station the other day say, we are so proud to be there for you during lockdown. Brackets. I'm so glad I'm on license fee money and I haven't been furloughed. These people. I mean, like, yeah, there's been nobody except Sophie Ellis-Bexter. There's a level to which you can do it that's so good that you get that gratitude anyway. You know, she wants a bit of attention and she's doing it in a, in a funny, charming way. And obviously I'm a bit beguiled by her, the way I've gone on about it a little bit. She can mother and sing at the same time and also do little throwaway gags. That is a proper woman there. Back in the war, she'd have been darning socks and singing the kids to sleep in the tube station. I have no fucking idea where this came from. Most people think. Uh, just a quick one from um, Henners from Ebbsfleet. He basically said he's, he follows a, a lower league team and he thinks surely it's better than following a bigger team. Well, of course it is. You, you follow Ebbsfleet, us follow AFC Wimbledon. You, the good days are so good. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like being poor and then just one day your, uh, your stepdad comes home with a raspberry ripple. <laughs> now, look, if you understand Cockney rhyming slang, you'll understand why... I laugh somewhat immaturely at Raspberry Ripple there. I'm not, it's not big, it's not clever. But when I just, I realised, <laughs> saying your stepdad comes back with a Raspberry Ripple, I meant the ice cream, of course I meant the ice cream. And yeah, we were so happy. I mean, I, I still remember that day. I still remember how it felt. I remember the heat in the air. I remember the 
the taste, the tang of the raspberry, the, the ice cream inside of it. But now I've obviously besmirched it by a childish reference to Cockney rhyming slang. Okay, that is uh, the end of the show for this week. We're going to do some shout-outs. Going to do some shout-outs for um, our what most people pay tier of the patrons. Leslie Durose, Stephen Vest, and Kathy Glenn. Ah, oh, they, they sound like some sort of combo as well. Starring Leslie Durose, Stephen Vest, and Kathy Glenn. No, you know what they sound like? They sound like uh, they're in some sort of like ITV1 cop drama. You know, like Prime Suspect. Regular listeners will know that I'm padding. I was going to say panting there while I see if there's any been in reviews lately. A few five stars. Remember, if you leave me a five star review, there's every chance I'll read it out. Right, we've had a few in the last week. This is from GMK3000. Uh, As a fan of the Bugle, etc., it's a nice balance. So one of my friends there from the Liberal Elite dropping in to give me props. Thank you. This is from Teedness. Uh, An oasis of joy and critical thinking. I always say, Jeff, my evening walk by the sea because this is good stuff. A merry malt in a world of bland blends. Well, thank you very much. I, 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 it's a privilege to be with you on those sea walks. I have no idea. Tideness, is that a place? Tideness. Hey, she come from Tideness, the girl. You know, Jackie. You know, Bev's sister. You know, the Tideness lassies. Is Tideness a place? I, I've got it. Totness. I'm thinking of Totness. Dungeness. Yeah. Is there any Nesses? Write in at what most people think UK at gmail.com. Uh, Keith from Hampshire. There's no accent to do from that, but I'm going to give you a country accent anyway. About the only good thing about lockdown is the frequency of Jess podcast. Keep the good work up, fella. And then finally, Tony RH. Um, I seem, he says, I need this in my life. Five stars. I seem to socialize mostly with woke left leaning friends. It's so nice to hear someone who makes sense. Loved your live show. You're keeping me sane. Thanks very much. Well, Tony, I'm the same as you, you know. Some of my best friends are liberals. Some of my best friends. And the thing about liberals, Tony, is, you know, they're kind of like people like us. You know, a lot of them really do think that stuff. And, you know, it's our job, you know, just to keep a dialogue going with the liberals. Because, you know, some of them are... Thank you.